as promised, I have some more ammunition for your Bernie-loving, Biden-voting friends. Make no mistake, this is the blame game, and we're trying to get out ahead of them. You know what's going to happen if Trump wins in November. If it weren't for you, Bernie or Busters, we could have defeated Donald Trump. No, if it weren't for you comfy Democrats who just thought Bernie or Busters were bluffing, we would have Bernie Sanders on the verge of victory right now and not Donald Trump or sleepy Joe Biden. As it stands now, we're on the brink of electing one or the other racist rapists. And who's to blame? You comfy Democrats are to blame. So let's get this all squared away now before the blame game even gets started. So let's get this squared away now before the blame game gets even worse. We'll start off again two days in a row now with Kathy Copeland Patton. Trump will likely prevail in 2020. Thank you, corporate Democrats. The caption under this photo reads, Look, here are two reasons now. It's almost adorable how outwardly confident establishment Dems are about taking back the White House in 2020, even though they are making the same derpy blunders, blunders, that cost the pantsuit succubus the election back in 2016. You know, adorable and that want to give them a two by four off the cranium adorable. At this point, I don't know what's more off-putting, their whiny sense of entitlement to my vote or their bitchy, bossy fear politics. But you must bend to our will. The most important thing is ousting Trump, not voting for the candidate who best represents your values. Submit, submit. How about no? It's interesting to note the differences between the progressive Bernie or Bust philosophy and the establishment Dem vote blue no matter who battle cry. The former is a statement of intent stressing the autonomy of independent voters, while the latter is a presumptuous admonition to vote for whatever neoliberal corporate puppet the DNC thrusts upon us, whether we are party members or not. Nope. Once again, not happening. No matter how hard you try to dress your craptastic candidate up in pretty wrapping paper, Biden still stinks to high heaven. I know you poor, beleaguered neolibs just want to get back to brunch, while the rest of us, the privileged, as you call the millions of us hanging by a thread, continue to rail against the decades-in-the-making shit show we have thanks to lesser evilism cowardice such as this. Come join us in the real world where an oligarch is an oligarch, no matter the color of their tie. Remember, the Democratic Party asserts that, as a private corporation, they are not bound by their own charter. They reserve the right to handpick the candidate of their, meaning the plutocracy's, choosing. In a nutshell, Democrats freely admit their primary process is just political theater. And yet, they never hesitate to strong-arm both Green New Deal Democrats and independent progressives. The kicker is that the resistance, in all caps, I laugh every time I type that, vilifies Trump while supporting establishment Democrats who assist Trump in every way possible. Yet they don't see the issue with this at all. Seems their logic is that the best way to combat fascism is by condoning fascism. Don't believe me? Get off that Zoom meeting or Facebook or Pornhub and check the voting records. They can and do speak for themselves. You must understand one simple fact. 
Our current fiscal crisis is a deliberate hijacking of the economy, not the result of unforeseen circumstances. It's the elite's plan going off without a hitch. Ever wonder why there's always enough funding for endless corporate bailouts, but not crucial social programs? Because that's how a rigged system works. And we make it so easy for them. Since Americans are conditioned to equate poverty with criminality and wealth with virtue, they feel they must be eternally grateful for whatever crumbs get shunted their way without demanding more. After all, it's better than nothing, right? Actually, it's not, but whatever. There are gazillions of ways the Democratic Party is saving everyone the hassle of a sham election in 2020 and just handing another four years to the orange anal ward. Here's just a small sampling. The staunch refusal to address the obscene amount of corruption running rampant in their party. When caught red-handed, it's best not to go on the high horse defensive and claim cheating is your prerogative per your organization's charter. There's nothing sleazier than officially legitimizing your own dirty dealings. Candidates like Biden and Harris prove that the DNC refuses to learn any lessons from the hefty progressive bitch slap administered in 2016. The message was clear. No more corporate neoliberals. We weren't kidding then, and we aren't kidding now. The Me Too Unless the Rapist is Blue McResistance has yet to grasp that obsessing on ousting you-know-who accomplishes nothing. Trump didn't cause this fuster cluck. He's merely the big, dumpy, derpy result of it. America didn't suddenly collapse in ruins when the marmalade moron waddled into Washington. Our decay is just more noticeable now because it's an unrelenting sideshow attraction and Donnie can't sing Al Green jams as excellent as Barry. You know that's probably not true. This is me talking. Donald Trump actually sings pretty well. You can go back and watch him on the Hee Haw show, I think it was. I can't remember exactly where I saw him, but in his younger days, he could actually sing pretty well. Back to Kathy. Yes, yes, we get it. You hate Trump. We all do, but high-fiving each other over shared Twitler antipathy won't get any of us health care, fair wages, or the dismantling of the police state. These were serious issues before Trump and will also be serious issues after Trump. I repeat, these were serious issues before Trump and will also be serious issues after Trump. So, the specter of another term of Trump doesn't fill you with adequate terror to vote for a hair-sniffing dementia-addled doofus and mocha Hillary? Okay then, Putin, boo, yeah, chew on that progressives, Putin, and Trump, Putin. But in the end, you can always count on the majority of the American people being unutterably and unfailingly stupid. This is the main reason Trump will easily win a second term. He will, and the Democrats will have no one to blame but themselves. Again. And the other piece of toast for your comfy Dems breakfast enjoyment is, by Joe Brunoli, Bernie Sanders and the irony of independence. Why you should not listen to Bernie now. You can tell all of your derpy friends that we're not following Bernie into the dumpster fire. There is an argument raging across Bernie world between those who want to vote for Biden and those who want to vote third party. Both sides claim to have Bernie's blessing on their decision, and both sides have reason to. Note, 
This article is just a reality check for my fellow burners and it is not meant to be a critique of Senator Sanders himself. In order to understand Bernie's seemingly contradictory statements on voting, both in 2016 and 2020, you need to understand Bernie's personal history and his unique position in the Democratic Party, and how it is that Bernie's independence actually makes him more dependent on the good graces of the Democratic establishment. It all started in Vermont. Most people know that Bernie Sanders is an independent, in quotation marks. When he appears on TV, he usually has an I after his name. But why is he an independent, and why does he continue to be an independent? The answer has a lot to do with the particulars of Vermont politics. When Bernie first entered politics, he ran for mayor of Burlington in 1981 against an entrenched, centrist slash corporatist Democratic machine and won by 10 votes. He thereafter served successfully until 1988 when he set his sights on the House of Representatives. He ran as an independent and lost. In 1990, he ran as a Democrat, but without the blessing of the DNC and had to run as a write-in candidate in the Democratic primary and lost. It was then that Bernie made a deal with the Democratic Party. If they would support him in the general election running as an independent, then he would give them his loyalty and his vote in the House. The Democrats agreed, and Bernie won his first House election as an independent, beating the woman who had won the Democratic primary. As an article in Counterpunch explains, the unauthorized Democratic candidate in 1990, Dolores Sandoval, an African-American faculty member at the University of Vermont was amazed that the official party treated her as a non-person and Bernie kept outflanking her to her right. She opposed the Gulf buildup. Bernie supported it. She supported decriminalization of drug use and Bernie defended the war on drugs and so on. Bernie Sanders had indeed championed third parties when he was a socialist mayor of Burlington. He railed against Democrats and Republicans alike, but when it came time to run for national office, Bernie learned quickly from his bitter failure in 1988 and decided to, quote, play ball. Will Miller, one of Bernie's colleagues in the Liberty Union Party, makes clear the symbiotic relationship between Bernie and the Democrats. Bernie, out of office for the first time in eight years, then went to the Kennedy School at Harvard for six months and came back with a new relationship with the state's Democrats. The Vermont Democratic Party leadership has allowed no authorized candidate to run against Bernie in 1990 or since, and in return, Bernie has repeatedly blocked third-party building. So you see, Bernie has been helping Democrats to stifle third parties for over 30 years first in Vermont, and now on a national level. The Hard Truth of the House Once Bernie arrived in D.C., he immediately sought to join the Democratic Caucus, which he saw as the only way he could make any impact and bring home the bacon for his constituents. Remember, as an independent, he did not have a party to caucus with, which meant he could get no plum committee assignments, no high-profile speaking opportunities, no support from colleagues during a floor debate. To get those things, he had to bargain with the Democratic elites. Will Miller continues, Since 1991, the Democrats have given Bernie membership in their congressional caucus. Reciprocally, Bernie has become an ardent imperialist, 
Sanders endorsed Clinton in 1992 and 1996. In 1992, he described Clinton as the lesser of evils, a justification he used to denounce when he was what the local press called an avowed socialist. By 1996, he gave Clinton an unqualified endorsement. He has been a consistent friend of Bill's since 1992. So this is me talking. That's what it means when Bernie says he's your friend. It means he needs you for something. Bernie burns a bridge with Ralph Nader. The caption under this photo reads, Bernie and Ralph had at one time been good friends and fellow travelers. No more. Not only did Bernie not need Ralph Nader, he needed to distance himself from Ralph Nader. You can't simultaneously be Chuck Schumer's friend and Ralph Nader's friend. Indeed, it was Bernie's enthusiastic support for Bill Clinton that caused him to have a massive falling out with his erstwhile friend, Ralph Nader. As Kevin Kelly explains in his 1999 article, Left Out, Bernie Sanders and Ralph Nader Part Company, Sanders opposed Nader's campaign in 1996 because, despite NAFTA, despite ending welfare, despite the horrible 1994 crime bill, Bernie still believed Clinton was the, quote, lesser evil. Also, there was apparently an upside for his loyalty. Nader theorizes that Clinton's people told Bernie he had to support Clinton or else they would help the Democrat, Jack Long, in the congressional race. The Democrats promised to bestow a subcommittee chairmanship on Sanders if they captured control of the House may also have encouraged him to cuddle up with Clinton, Nader suggests. Bernie has not spoken to Ralph Nader since that race and even refuses to answer Ralph's emails and calls. As Nader explained to Kelly, Given how long I've supported Bernie Sanders, even before he became a congressman, I think he owes me a phone call. This is not surprising. I am sure every Bernie supporter knows just how deep and hot the hatred for Ralph Nader runs within the Democratic Party. Consequently, Bernie has had to avoid Ralph Nader like the plague, lest any whiff of the spoiler contagion transmit to Bernie himself. Bernie's greatest personal fear Bernie's worst nightmare is to be blamed by Nancy and Chuck for Hillary's loss. Of course, we all know how Bernie was blamed for Hillary's loss in 2016 and how he has been condemned as another nader despite his refusal to have any contact with Ralph whatsoever. These attacks have hurt Bernie deeply and close friends and aides relate how Bernie is still deathly afraid of being labeled a spoiler. Perhaps that is why he campaigned so hard for Hillary in 2016, going to all the places she would not or could not visit, crisscrossing the country in a mad dash, holding more pro-Clinton rallies than did the candidate herself. Alas, all that effort was for naught. Despite his Herculean campaign effort, despite the fact that more Bernie supporters voted for Hillary than did Clinton supporters who voted for Obama in 2008, Despite his repeated and incessant expressions of loyalty, fealty, and support, Bernie is still saddled with the blame, along with Russia, Comey, and sexism in general. He hurt me. And as an independent who serves with the Democrats entirely at their pleasure, this puts Bernie in a very bad place. The irony of independence. 
It is truly ironic that Bernie's iconic brand as the independent senator from Vermont makes him in fact less independent and more reliant on the good graces of Democratic leadership than any actual rank-and-file Democrat. Bernie is not able to build up equity or points under the arcane Democratic seniority system. He needs to rely on the crumbs, or plums, that are gifted him by the Democratic caucus leadership, whether in the House or the Senate. As Counterpunch explains, when Sanders decided to make a bid for an open U.S. Senate seat in 2005, his long-standing service to the corporate Democrats won him the critical endorsement of Senator Chuck Schumer of New York, chairman of the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee. Schumer's backing meant that no Democrat running against Sanders could receive financial help from the party. Sanders was also supported by Senate Minority Leader Harry Reid of Nevada and Democratic National Committee Chair and Chairman and former Vermont Governor Howard Dean, who described Sanders as an ally who votes with the Democrats 98% of the time. So you see, despite his boasts that he was taking on the Democratic Party establishment, Bernie Sanders, much more than any actual Democrat in office, could ill afford to cross the party elders, lest he be banished summarily to the back benches. I have no doubt that this fact weighs heavily on Bernie's mind as he goes about desperately doing everything he can to help elect the candidate which those party elites have chosen. And the fact that they deliberately chose Biden as a way to stop Bernie makes the irony of his independence and his company man support for Biden all the more bitter. What's in it for Bernie? Nonetheless, what I said above is still true. The relationship that Bernie has with the Democratic Party is a symbiotic one. If the Democratic base shows up and the Dems take back the Senate, as most polls predict, then Bernie is in line to become the all-powerful chairman of the Senate Budget Committee. This is due to his current minority position as ranking member on that committee. But he will have this coveted job only if Chuck Schumer and the other party elites allow it. This picture of Chuck Schumer and Bernie speaks volumes. Bernie relies on the goodwill of Chuck Schumer for everything he has accomplished in the Senate. The famous author and journalist Chris Hedges explained Bernie's precarious position thusly. Bernie has cut a Faustian deal with the Democrats. I asked Sanders why he wanted to run as a Democrat, and he said, because I don't want to end up like Nader. He didn't want to end up pushed out of the establishment. Hedges said. He wanted to keep his committee chairmanships. He wanted to keep his Senate seat. And he knew the forms of retribution and punishment that would be visited upon him if he applied his critique to the Democratic establishment. So he won't. The man who gave Trump two terms. We need to go back to the Ralph Nader incident to fully understand Bernie's motivation in urging his followers to vote Biden. Ralph has appeared on several shows saying that Bernie Sanders has been refusing to talk to him for 22 years. That is one hell of a long time to be on the outs with a guy who once helped you get elected. But for Bernie, it is supremely important that he steer clear of any shred of spoilerism. Because Bernie is at that age where, despite what he may say in public, he worries about his legacy. He had hoped to be remembered and revered as the 46th President of the United States. Now he fears being loathed in perpetuity as the man who gave Trump two terms. Why you should not listen to Bernie.
Bernie is telling us every chance he gets that Trump is uniquely dangerous, the most dangerous president in American history, and so on and so forth. Such hyperbolic claims are, of course, easily disproved by any objective review of the records and misdeeds of Clinton, Bush, and even Obama, all of whom were demonstrably worse than Trump in at least some regards. This is me talking. Stay tuned for tomorrow's show and we'll pick on Obama again. Back to the story. I have written an article addressing this false claim by Bernie in which I have debunked the sense behind it. This is me again. We read that article a few days ago if you want to go back and find it. But why is Bernie making that argument anyway? The answer lies in what I have laid out above. Under this caption of Bernie and Chuck Schumer, it looks like Chuck is behind Bernie pulling his strings. And the caption reads, When it comes to Bernie's behavior in this election, just remember that it is Chuck Schumer, backed by Obama, who is pulling the strings. If you're listening on podcast, you should go to the YouTube channel just to see this picture. Bernie's eyes are lifeless. He just looks like a puppet. And Chuck Schumer has an evil grin on his face as he's standing right behind him. As an independent who relies on the good graces and friendly regard of the Democratic establishment in order to both serve his constituents and further his own ambitions, Bernie Sanders must toe the Democratic Party line, more so than anyone else. He must be seen to be doing everything he possibly can to drag his supporters out to vote for Biden. He is still facing criticisms that he didn't do enough in 2016, and the narrative that Sanders supporters didn't show up for Hillary is now part of mainstream media and democratic dogma. Bernie needs to make sure that doesn't happen again. But that's Bernie. You are you. It is perfectly reasonable that Bernie would ask his supporters to vote for the Democratic nominee, but this time it's different. This time, he is condemning as irresponsible anyone who fails to come out and vote Biden. He is seeking to frighten his supporters with images of an apocalyptic dystopia and the death of democracy in America. And there are links to those if you want to go to the article and click on them. And he is actively gaslighting his supporters by claiming that Joe Biden will be the most progressive president since FDR. The gaslighting is perhaps the most transparently phony thing I have ever heard Bernie say, but I actually think all three of these themes are to be condemned and rejected. And that is why I wrote this article. And as always, I link to everything I read on this show underneath in the information section. And tomorrow, for all your Bernie-loving, Biden-voting friends, we'll have the jam for the toast.